I am so thankful for the opportunity to stand before you today and to break the bread of life. This is going to be an interesting text where we're going to draw um, our text from today, from the book of Joshua. I'm going to read one verse, Joshua chapter 3 and verse number 5. There is no doubt um, that we live in his resurrection power. If I have ever realized that, I've realized it was his resurrection that carried me through this last year and brought us back together in the house of the Lord. Um, I feel like that the narrative that's pushed by our society is a little different from the truth. Because the truth is that this nation is ripe for revival. This nation is ready for the greatest harvest that we've ever seen in our lives. And I believe that all of the hatred that the world spews and all of the darkness that they try to portray, I'm going to tell you what this man believes. I believe that the church of the living God is the answer to that. That men, women, brothers, and sisters, I believe the Lord himself gave us clarity and understanding that this gospel message is not just for one people. It's for every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And this year, if the Lord will help us, we're going to take this message as far as we can. I want you to bind together and pray with us that God will continue to open up borders, that God will continue to open up nations, that we can get the word of the Lord, get our missionaries back into the nations where they have been called to be. And certainly today... I believe that there is power in your prayer. Amen. Joshua chapter 3 and verse number 5. Thank you for standing. I know some of our guests are wondering, does this church ever sit down? And when I told you to be seated, I gave you the text and you stood back up. They do sit down, but when you've been redeemed, it's hard to sit down. Amen. Joshua chapter 3 and verse number 5. If you're there, say amen. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I want to talk to you today about what precedes amazing. What precedes amazing. Now, this is going to be a little different for Resurrection Sunday, but I feel like the Lord has spoken to my heart. I came down to the church last night to just kind of lay my heart before the Lord and see the, the direction that he would have us to go for this morning, and finally, a little after midnight, I guess it was, around midnight, I dislodged myself from my desk and went home and laid down and tried to go to sleep and laid in the bed and kept doing the same thing I was doing at the church. I was praying for you, praying for this day, praying for clear direction. I wonder sometimes if we truly understand the eternal weight of what happens in a meeting like this. What we see is the visible. We see people celebrating. We see people coming together. But in the invisible, in the world that you can't see right now, I want you to understand that there is a war that's going on for your soul. And the enemy wants to do everything he can to distract you, to destroy you, to disrupt your life. But I'm thankful today that you chose to be in the house of the Lord. And God's going to honor that. Amen? Amen. In the 16th century, there was a Renaissance astronomer by the name of Nicholas Copernicus. Now, there's not going to be a pop quiz after this that you have to remember the name. But it was Nicholas Copernicus that challenged the thought and belief system that the earth was the center of the universe. Copernicus argued that the sun did not revolve around the earth, but that rather the earth revolves around the sun. It led to what became known as the Copernican Revolution. And it turned 
the scientific world upside down by literally turning the universe inside out. When Mr. Copernicus challenged the normal way of thinking, when he was willing to think outside the box, there was a shift in the paradigm that took place. That what people at one time considered normal now began to question is what we believe to be normal really what normal is all about. And the reason that I stayed here last night seeking after the Lord for clear direction on this day is because I'm praying that in this house there would be a shift take place in the minds of men and women. It's very similar to the, Coperni uh, the Copernicus revolution in that Somebody will come to the awakening that what you thought was normal when you woke up this morning cannot be normal for you anymore. That God is about to raise you up into a revelation of who it was that he created you to be. I know the world wants us to believe the narrative that the, the uh, resurrection of our Lord and Savior is about coming together one Sunday out of the year, but there's about to be a revolution in this age that somebody's going to realize the enemy's idea of keeping you locked into one day a year of resurrection power is not the truth at all. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. It's my prayer that there's going to be an awakening in the heart of somebody today. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you are not the center of the universe. That's a revelation. Now, I'm just going to talk to you for a minute. I got some things around here that, that I say. If I happen to say them, you don't know what that means. Just turn somebody that you think goes here. Maybe they can explain, translate for you. When I say I'm breaking something down Gerber style, that means I'm getting it down here where we can all digest it. So I want to break this down Gerber style to you for just a minute if I can. And I want to tell you that when you're born into the world, the world revolves around you. You're spoon-fed on the front, diaper-changed on the back. It's as if the entire world exists to meet your every need. And that's okay if you're a two-month-old baby. But if you're 22, you're still getting spoon-fed in the front, diaper-changed in the back. There's some issues. And so there is an awakening that happens as we mature that is just like the revolution that was led in science by Nicholas Copernicus. It is the understanding that what we thought was the center of the universe is really not. So on this Resurrection Sunday, I have three simple points that I want to get to you. And I'm going to start by telling you that sinful nature in and of itself at its core, sinfulness is selfishness your sinful nature is all about throning yourself enthroning your desires your needs your plans above all else we may seek God but very randomly and, ra and rarely do we seek him first we may even sing the song that we sing from time to time here Jesus at the center of it all. But the reality is our lives lead in a subtle form of selfishness that masquerades as spirituality. When we say out of our mouth, Lord, you are first and foremost and paramount in my life. And as we walk along our way, we find that really it's about pleasing us. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that there is a large percentage of 21st century Christianity that thinks they're following Jesus, but in reality, they have invited Jesus to follow them. And God is calling us out in this hour to help us understand and realize that the power of his resurrection was not to leave us like we are. It was not to leave us in the broken shape and mess that we are in, but the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just so that he could resurrect from the dead, but rather so that you and I could resurrect from a life of sin and shame. 
The enemy wants to sell you out today and make you believe that you don't deserve the grace of God and make you believe that you don't deserve the mercy of God. Well, let me go ahead and settle the issue for you. There's none of us in this room that deserve the mercy of God. But by the power of the resurrection of Jesus, his blood has set us free. I want you to know that God wants to do amazing things in this house. I told you this would be different for Resurrection Sunday. God wants to do amazing things in this house today. Somebody shout amazing things. There's something I can guarantee you. There's not a lot I can guarantee you of anymore. In this society, honest to goodness, when I think I've seen it all, I wake up the next day and I'm surprised. But there's something I can guarantee you in this house today. Anytime that God is about to do something amazing in our lives, he calls us to consecrate ourselves to him. This pattern is established in the text that I read to you this morning. To give you an understanding of where the text takes place, this is right. As the children of Israel are getting ready to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land and they'll conquer their first city there, Jericho. Where they march around the walls of Jericho and they come crashing down and God gives them the victory. It was here in Joshua 3 and 5 that the Lord through Joshua said to the people, Sanctify or consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. Another way that you could say this is that consecrate yourself because tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things. Consecrate yourself to the Lord because tomorrow God is going to do something that only God can do. There is a fundamental problem in our lives that we must deal with today here in the house of the Lord. At its best, it sounds very noble, but at its roots, I believe that it is systematically thinking backwards. And here it is. So put on your seatbelt. We want to do amazing things for God. And that's the pressure that we carry on ourselves. Pastor, I want to do amazing things for God. I want to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. But notice with me, if you would, God did not call his people to do amazing things. He called his people to consecrate themselves to him. And he said, if you'll consecrate to me, I'll do amazing things. There's a great pressure on the church in the 21st century to be amazing and do amazing things and be powerful as we've ever been. But here's what I want you to know. The power of this has never been in how amazing you are. The power has always been in how amazing our God is. There's nobody like him. There's none above him. There's none beside him. There's none beneath him. He is God all by himself. What I'm saying to you is that I believe today with all my heart, if we'll do our job, God will do his job. I sat in the office last night and I felt pressure lift off of my shoulders. I was praying. I said, God, there's going to be a lot of people here tomorrow. I want our church to be amazing. I want our people to do amazing things. He said, take the pressure off of them. Just tell the people, consecrate themselves to me and let me do amazing things. Can I tell you that if you need a miracle today and you need God to perform wonders in your life, it's not going to come because you deserve it. It's going to be because you consecrate yourself to God and separate yourself to God. I don't know what you believe today. I don't know where your life is, but I want to tell you that you're in a house today that a miracle worker is present in this place. You've come too late to tell me that God can't heal your body. You've come too late to tell me that God can't heal your mind. I've seen him heal and I know he can do it. What I'm saying to you is that on this Resurrection Sunday, it's as good a time as any for you to receive a miracle in your life. 
If you believe it, shout amen. amen. So if we do our job, God will do his job. So can I talk to you about consecration just a little bit? Before I tell you what consecration is, I want to tell you what consecration is not. Consecration is not going to church once a week. It is not having daily devotions. It is not fasting for Lent. It is not being able to quote the Ten Commandments. It's not sitting down at a table and sharing your faith with your friends. Consecration is not paying your tithes. It is not repeating the so-called sinner's prayer. It is not volunteering for a ministry position in your local church. It is not going on a mission trip. It is not clapping your hands and raising your hands during a worship service. These are all wonderful things to consider. But they must never be confused with consecration. Consecration is so much more than behavior modification. It is so much more than conformity to a moral code. It is more than doing good deeds. It is so much deeper. The word consecrate means simply to set yourself apart. Listen to what I'm about to tell you right now. I believe this could help somebody and maybe even be the paradigm shift in your life. By its own definition, consecration demands full devotion. It is the dethroning of yourself and the enthroning of Christ. It's being willing to pray prayers like, not my will. But thy will be done. It is the complete divestiture of self-interest. It is giving God 100% veto power in your life. That at any time he's ready to take over. You may give him a good plan. But God can change your plans any time that he's ready. I know that some people don't like to hear this, but I'm telling you right now, I believe we're close to the coming of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what I believe is going to happen between now and the coming of the Lord. I believe a lot of plans are going to get messed up. I believe a lot of people thought you were going to live your life business as usual and just go about your way and someday fit God in. But I feel some plans getting wrecked in the house this morning. I feel like somebody that's been putting God off for a while is about to get your plans messed up this morning. God's going to get a hold of your spirit. God's going to shake you in the house. This is not a trick question. But how many of you want to see God do amazing things? (laughs) Some of you were a little reluctant to raise your hand right there. You know what? I'm thankful that we live in a day that the blind can still see. The deaf can still hear. The dumb can still talk. The lame can still walk. How do you know that? Because Jesus said, these works that I do shall you do, and greater works than these shall you do. I feel like somebody needs to know today, heaven believes in you. So consecration is nothing less than surrendering all of you to all of him. Full surrender. Withholding nothing. It's a clear understanding that every second of every minute, every minute of every hour, every hour of every day, Every ounce of energy, every single penny that belongs to me is really just a gift from God, and it belongs to God. I'll be honest with you, church. 
I can't do amazing things. I wish I could. I probably had some times in, in my life that the most impressed person by what I did was me. That was impressive. Nobody else thought it was. So I just impressed me. And it didn't last long because somebody that was not impressed let me know that it was not impressive. <laughs> I heard you were awesome. Mostly from you, but I heard you were awesome. We're funny people. But I want to explain something to you today, child of God. And please listen closely to me today as I explain this to you, okay? I know how things work in my life, in my little economy system, the way that I do things. I know how they work in my world. But let me tell you how they work in God's world. Amazing always begins with consecration. And consecration always ends with amazing. Are you hearing what I'm telling you today? Consecration always has this power that comes after it. That when you stop arguing with God about how much is all. It's like you just take it all off the table. And you quit trying to wrestle in that match with God about how much is necessary and what's not necessary. It's no longer about the inconvenience of being in the house of the Lord three or four times a week. It's not about God messing up your schedule. It's that place you get to with God that you're sick of everything else that keeps you from being in his presence. It's like everything else becomes the roadblock that keeps you from being in his presence. And you start reprioritizing your life and consecrating yourself to him. And you don't care if you take a pay cut. You don't care if you work less hours. You just know you're hungry for God and you'll do anything you've got to do to be with God. Now I'm going to get real with you right here, okay? This is going to get intense for just a few minutes. It's going to get pretty intense. So I just need you to stay with me right here. I'm going to let you see into the window of my soul. I try to lead from a place of transparency. I really do. I try to be transparent before this church all the time. Maybe sometimes a little too much. But I want to tell you one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that people can go to church every week of their life and never sell out to God. I'm afraid that we have cheapened the gospel resurrection message by allowing people to buy in that have never sold out. We've made it too convenient and too comfortable. But Jesus gave us a call to die in Luke chapter 9. In verse 23, I want you to hang with me on this Resurrection Sunday because I'm going to help somebody. Luke 9 and 23, he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross a couple times a week. Let him deny himself. And take up his cross, somebody say every day. And follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Here comes some of that uncomfortable preaching for you right here. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and loses himself and is a castaway? I made something, uh, I made mention of something here Wednesday night in the closing of my sermon 
that caused me to go back this week and reflect on some things, historical accounts. Took a long, hard look this week at some things that I feel are worthy of being shared here today. If you have the guts to crack open Fox's Book of Martyrs, here's some of the things that you would find. Now just stay with me. I'm telling you, it's going to be a little tight. In A.D. 44, King Herod ordered that James the Greater be thrust through with a sword. He was the first of the apostles to be murdered. And so the bloodbath began. It was Luke who was hung by the neck from an olive tree in Greece. Thomas, who, in my opinion, unfairly received the name of Doubting Thomas, was pierced through with a pine spear, then tortured with red-hot plates and burned alive in modern-day India. In A.D. 54, the proconsul of Hierapolis had Philip tortured and crucified because his wife was converted to Christianity while Philip preached the gospel. And so the thing that got him murdered was that this man's wife was converted, so they put him on the cross to crucify him, and they said that he preached on the cross until he died. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James the Just was thrown off the southeast pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. And if that wasn't enough, after surviving the 100-foot fall, he was clubbed to death by a mob. Simon the Zealot was crucified by a governor in Syria in A.D. 74. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks in Mesopotamia. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned to death and then beheaded. The apostle Peter, who preached us on the day of Pentecost, was crucified upside down at his own request. John the Beloved was the only disciple to die of natural causes, but that's only because he survived his own execution. When a cauldron of boiling oil could not kill John, it was the emperor Diocletian that exiled him to the island of Patmos where he lived until his death approximately 95 A.D. So listen closely to me today. I'm afraid that cheap religion in the North American church has brought us to the place that our normal is so subnormal that normal actually seems radical. Can I say that again? Our normal of serving God is so subnormal that normal seems radical. We look at people and say they're just crazy. They're sold out. They're messed up. Those people are overwhelmed with God. Like you could say something worse about me, you know. In a world that's filled with hatred and darkness and despair and filthiness. Can I tell you, there are worse things that people could say about you than you love Jesus with all your heart. But Jesus threw down the gauntlet when he looked at his disciples and he said, if you come after me. You're going to deny yourself. His disciples took that literally. Now I tell you today, again in my personal life, looking through my window, I pray on a daily basis that we would be counted worthy to escape such things as persecution. I pray that. I really hope to God that not one person in this room has to lose your life for the gospel's sake. But I'm going to ask you a question that only you can answer in your own mind. And please don't think that I'm trying to ask this in a negative context. But have you ever taken the time to consider how one would be willing to die for Jesus Christ when he's not willing to die to himself? Jesus said, if any man comes after me, 
let him deny himself. The doctrine of happiness has so much confusion in this world that God would rather us be happy than sold out. But take it from a man today who's grateful for Calvary. I find my happiness in being sold out to him. I find it no burden whatsoever to walk into this house today with freedom and lift my hands and lift my voice and wake up on Monday morning and know that I'm free to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's never been a burden to me to be a child of God. Philippians, the third chapter and the tenth verse. The summation of what the apostle says blows my mind. And it's just so real to me that I, I catch myself sincerely, maybe too transparent, but I catch myself checking my language as I pray. It's almost like it's hard to pray without a pause. When I tell the Lord in prayer that I want to know him, I have to pray it the way that the apostle Paul prayed it. When he said, oh, that I may know him. And Bishop, this is the Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection that everybody wants. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But it's right here that I almost catch myself not wanting to pray the rest. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. But Paul said you can't know just the power of his resurrection. You've got to know the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. I'm sorry today if this modern world of Christianity has caused you to believe that everything is about the happiness of resurrection in your life. But I want to tell you that if he had not been crucified and buried in a tomb, there would be no resurrection. I celebrate the fact that he got up today. But the thing I want you to understand is that the reason he was dead in the first place was because of me. I know that not everybody in this room's got it together. Be honest with you, I think if we'd all lay our lives out in front of this congregation... There's not very many of us at all that have it together. But you're looking at a man walking in shoes today that is grateful that God didn't wait for me to get my life all together and get myself all perfected before he loved me. I'm glad that while I was yet a sinner, while I was yet a sinner, it's the beautiful picture of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. The Bible said that while the prodigal was yet a far way off, that his father left the porch and went running after him. I don't know today if you know who you are or not, but the father is running towards you today. The resurrection was not so that we could come together and have candy rains and ice cream. It was the father running to us. I'll be real with you today. I feel like we're desensitized in America. We don't think persecution happens to the church because we don't see it happen here. I'm going to just be straight up with you. You don't know anything about being persecuted to live for God. Oh, yes, I do. My kids went to school and they were the only ones that looked different. It's not persecution, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Jesus said, before they hated you. Come on, somebody. He said, before they ever hated you, they hated me. But somehow, and forgive me, maybe this is not what you were expecting this morning. But I haven't completely decided in my mind 100% which way it is. I don't know if, if we have Americanized the gospel or we've spiritualized the American dream. I'm not sure. But one thing that I do know 
is that the poorest among us in this room are rich. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Preacher, you don't know what I've been through. I don't. And I'm not making light of anything that you've been through. But I want to tell you, regardless of what you've been through, you are blessed. I know you've been through some trash. I know some of you have horrible stories of what you've been through. But I don't want you today to just be focused on what you went through. I want you to focus on the fact that you went through it. I want you to focus on the fact that God had his hand on your life. And the reason you're here today is because of his resurrection. That everything you went through and every trial that tried to destroy you, God kept his hand on you. And you're in the house of the Lord today. You don't have to be here. You could be lost. You could be six foot under a grave. But God kept his hand on your life. Somebody give him praise for his mercy this morning. Pastor, I just feel like some people make it too hard to live for God. Well, I want to tell you, with all due respect, I don't think that's ever really been the problem in North America. I really think the problem is that we make it too easy to die. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the gospel is free. The gospel costs nothing. But it demands everything. It's strange fire and strange religion to God. When you can go through the motions week in and week out and say, yeah, I went to church. Was I transformed? Was I renewed? Imagine Christianity without repentance. Because that's Christianity without forgiveness. Think about that now. Why would God send people to hell? He don't. That's the craziest doctrine I've ever heard in my life. That God is cruel enough to send people to hell. Listen to what I'm telling you. I'm going to shoot straight from the hip today. God don't send people to hell. We go on our own. God is the only one that made a way for me that I don't have to go to hell. He came to a cross and gave his life and was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he got up again so that I don't have to be lost. Oh, I'm glad about it. I don't know how many places will be preaching what I'm preaching right now on Resurrection Sunday, but may I please have the liberty to tell you the truth today. If you're going to have a relationship with God, it's going to be on His terms. Listen to me today when I tell you with all love in my heart, you can take it or you can leave it, but you cannot change the rules of engagement when it comes to God. Is this too heavy for a Resurrection Sunday? I'm trying to tell somebody that walked in here in chains today. You can leave this house set free. I'm going to show you something crazy about this mean, hardcore, judgmental, disgraceful God, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him because of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ the very moment that you bow your knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ Every sin you've ever committed is transferred to his account. Are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? Listen to me. I'm trying to save somebody's life in this place today. It was nailed 
to a cross 2,000 years ago. Everything that you've done wrong can be forgiven and it can be forgotten. Hear me when I tell you that the true gospel message is like God saying to us, I'll take the blame for everything you did wrong and give you the credit for everything that I did right. All of the shame that you carry, all of the reproach that's been in your life, all of the heaviness that's on your shoulder, I'll take that off of you. I'll take that heaviness from you and I'll lay my life down for you. Somebody shout, what a trade. Oh, God. I said it before and I'll say it again. The gospel costs nothing, but it demands everything. Somebody preach that with me this morning. Somebody say everything. I know this is a little slow right now. There's nobody swinging from the lights. But I want to tell you this is where a lot of people get stuck in their relationship with God. Or at least the pursuit of it. It's a place that I call spiritual no man's land. We're too Christian to enjoy sin. Listen to me now. We're too Christian to enjoy sin. But too sinful to enjoy the fullness of Christ. We've got just, oh Bishop, we've got just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough Jesus to be transformed. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm a Christian. What kind? Oh, I didn't know there was another kind. Because Jesus said, if you're going to come after me. You're going to deny yourself. So any form of Christianity that causes me to give a part of myself, but not all of me. Can I preach to you this morning? I know some folks are uncomfortable right now. But God's trying to help us. It's a modern gospel message that tells us we can have everything God has to offer. Without giving anything up in our own life. You can buy in. Without selling out. I'm quickly coming to a close today. But in your Bible. There's a story of a man that Jesus calls the rich. Young ruler. Anybody here ever heard the story of the rich young ruler? Now if you take a look on paper at the rich young ruler. By all rights, he's the epitome of religiosity. He's like got it all together. He's the commandment keeper. He's got it all together. However, there's a darker side to the reality of who he really is. Uh, So then, what's the problem, pastor, with the rich young ruler? I hope you all are ready for this. The rich young ruler was not possessed with a devil. He was possessed with possessions. We're looking for this gargantuous, gigantic demon that's going to come out of everybody that walks in. I got, I got, I, I don't even want to go into it, but Wednesday night, somebody walking in here said, I want this devil out of me. I looked at him and said, you don't have a devil. We're dealing with things that we're blaming on the devil. That's, it's not a devil. I'm possessed with me. I'm possessed with what I love and what I want. And then I raise my hands and say, God, whatever you want for my life, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Just tell me what you want me to do. But while you're doing that, this is my plans for me. So please bless that. The rich young ruler was not possessed with the devil. He was possessed with possessions. Somebody say possessions. 
Listen to what I'm telling you right now. There's more pressure than there's ever been to be successful, to do amazing things. And the rich young ruler had all of this together. Hear me when I tell you that the rich young ruler had everything that money could buy. He was the rich young ruler, which meant he had his whole life in front of him. He called his own shots. Yet something was missing because the Lord looked at him when he asked the question in Mark 10 and 17. He said, what shall I do? What do you mean what shall I do? You got everything you want. You got everything money can buy. Why would there be a question in your mind that there's even anything else for you to do? I'll tell you why. Because he had possessions and he had time and he had power. He wasn't just rich and he wasn't just young. He was a ruler. He had authority and he had power. And you can have all of those things, all the wealth that money can buy, all the possessions that money can buy, have power and authority and still be empty. He looked at Jesus. He said, what I have to do? What was he missing? Mark 10 and 19. Listen to me. I'm going to help somebody in this house. Oh, God. Jesus said in 10 and 19 of Mark, he said, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. Is there anybody that would disagree with me today that this would make our society better? Listen to this, verse 20. He said, Master, not only do I know these things, but I've observed these since I was a little boy. Insinuating that at 13 years old, he began to understand the law, the Torah. And he was told this and taught this as a child. And he said, I've done this all of my life. Verse 21. Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And he said to him, one thing. Thou lackest. Go thy way. Sell whatever you have. Give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross. And follow me. In closing, as the musicians come today, I'm going to get with you uh, where you're living right now. I'm going to try to help somebody. Listen, I'm not trying to outlive my welcome here, but I want to explain something to you. Eventually, the rich young ruler became the rich old ruler. Can you imagine what went through his mind as he laid on his deathbed? And he heard the words echo in his ears, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he's still surrounded with his possessions and he's still surrounded with his power, but he's losing his life. And the Lord told him in the very beginning of this thing, while you're young and while you've got time, if you'll follow me, I'll show you what life is all about. Part of me feels like maybe Jesus was asking for too much, you know. Sometimes I kind of feel bad for the guy, if I could be honest. So you're just like, you just want him to give up everything he's got. Preacher, there's no biblical precedent for that. It's kind of like, Lord, could you have not just started with maybe a tithe? Like, could you just start with maybe a tithe of what he has? The Lord said, no, I'll take everything. He just goes for the juggler. He said, I, I want it all. Now, I'm going to help you right here. If we're not careful in this story and in this house, we're going to focus on everything he had to lose and not the invitation of what he had to gain. Why would God want us to lay all that down? I don't think you understand what he told him he was picking up. The creator of the heavens and the earth who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold that's under the hill said, lay that down and come with me. An internship with the Messiah. Rich young ruler, I want to show you the dead being raised. I want to show you the blind eyes being opened. 
I want to show you Lazarus with the tomb being rolled away. And when everybody else said it was over, I said, I'm just getting started. No, nope, that's okay, Lord. I'll just keep what I've got. The very next verse said that when he heard this, he went away grieved. But what did he have left? He had possessions. Church family. The rich young ruler missed out on the wonder because he didn't understand consecration. If you've ever had a thought in your mind of what amazing things for God would look like, I want to tell you what precedes amazing. It's consecration. If God is going to do something amazing in your life today, there's no such thing as an apostolic lottery. You don't fail into greatness with God. You don't stumble into it. But you become intentional on this Resurrection Sunday. That it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I lose when I know what I have to gain. I'm telling you today, I look at this world and their treasures. And I wouldn't trade what I've got today for every dime they have. Every head bowed, every head closed. Somebody in this house today will miss the wonder. You'll miss the amazing things. Because we don't understand consecration. I want you to understand that consecration is not Pentecostal rhetoric. Some of you may say, well, I was raised around the church and I don't just I just don't believe all that's necessary to have a relationship with God. I want to tell you today, I'll take my chances. I'd rather live for God hard and get to the other side and find out that I did too much than to get to the other side and find out that I didn't do enough. And I barely miss it. Pastor, that's not even biblical. It is. I just read you the story. He said, son, you've obeyed all the commandments. But you lack something. What was it, Bishop? Jesus said to him, you know how to follow commandments, but you don't know how to follow me. You can be in this house today and quote the Bible like nobody else in this room. But just because you can follow commandments doesn't mean you know how to follow Jesus. So I'm inviting you on this Resurrection Sunday. If your desire today is to follow Jesus, then I would ask you, as he did all of his disciples, would you be willing to abandon your boat and abandon your fishing nets and abandon your plan today to bow your knee at an altar of repentance and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. I'll live for you, Lord. Come on, maybe you're cold today. Maybe it's been a while since you've spoken other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Maybe it's been a while since you felt the Holy Ghost tug on your heartstrings like it is right now. I'm inviting you today. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss the wonder.